say that wandering the halls, and I've probably gone down there six times already, maybe seven times in my life, wandering the halls are people wearing Jura badges that you say, there is no way this person can ever, ever get picked for a Jura. You're convinced they don't speak or understand English. You're convinced that they just got out of jail. They're, they're dressed in unbelievable Arrow manner. <laughs> That's right. Right with guitar cases. A, what? And they get picked. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now on ESPN 980. All righty then. Ms. McManus is here with us. The great Jason Lock and Forum is no longer on the phone. He is sitting with us today. Jay will float in and out. Nigel runs the board. We will start, obviously. Well, before we get to the basketball game last night, just, just as a matter of personal civic pride, it was 102 degrees yesterday at National Airport, 102. That is the hottest recorded temperature in the month of June in 137 years or approximately the last time the Cubs won the World Series. A hundred and two degrees. I mean, really. It does not bode well for the rest of the summer. No. Well, we're not even in the summer. I know, but it's just a bad sign. hundred and two degrees. I used to have, it's true, I used to have impatience outside. They're dead. And all the plants that I have are dead. The lawn is dead. Everything is dead. You know, it's okay. It's okay that it's dead because it'll come back next year. And if it doesn't, that's okay, too. I'm not going to waste a lot of water on the lawns. I'd rather waste a lot of water on myself. Let's start. go to the game. Uh, LeBron James yesterday said this was the most important game of his career. And he responded with a triple-double. He had 10 rebounds. He had 10 assists. That's great. He had 17 points. That's not so great. Before the game started, I did watch the, uh, the walk-up show and I saw John Barry, whose father I covered, Rick Barry. I think I'm the only person in America that actually liked Rick Barry, maybe, because I don't think John does. Um, and, I, and I do like Rick Barry. I saw John Barry say the following thing. He said, I believe tonight the Dallas shooters will finally, as a group, shoot well, and Dallas will win this game, and it's not going to be a one-basket game. He was looked at by the other three members of the panel, as, as if he had leprosy and it had exploded onto his body. I don't usually give credit. I think John Barry gets some credit on this. Here are the shooters for Dallas. J.J. Barea, he's a pretty good shooter, hadn't shot well, 6 for 11. Dirk Nowitzki, always a good shooter, 9 for 18. Jason Kidd, the decaying carcass of Jason Kidd, 4 for 6. And Jason Terry, who had gagged like a dog in this series, and who LeBron owned in the fourth quarters of all the games that Miami had won. Jason Terry, 8 for 12 and 8 points in the last 3 minutes and 23 seconds, and Dallas collectively 13 of 19 from 3. 13 of 19 from 3. John Barry had this 100% right. LeBron James... 17 points, a guy who, who's the scoring leader, he's up in a, he's a 30-point-a-game guy. And even if he has a drop-off in the playoffs, he's a 25 to 26-point-a-game guy. He had 8 in Game 4. He had 17 in Game 5. I, I mean, I'm, 
I liked Sally Jenkins' column yesterday. I read a lot of it on the air. I like the fact that I think the guy is getting pilloried for being uh, unselfish at times. He had two points in the fourth quarter on a meaningless layup. So he had no points in the fourth quarter again. He disappeared in the fourth quarter. He is a great basketball player who in the last two games has not even been a particularly good basketball player. Jason, what do you make of that? Well, to me, there's a time and place for everything. He needs to take over the fourth quarter, be instinctive, use your size. Okay, but the Miami people say, no, no, Dwayne Wade has to have the ball. Well, which is fine when Dwayne Wade is healthy and or playing, but when Dwayne Wade clearly gets hurt in the first quarter and he's struggling to get through the game and he's not going to be the guy, then 1A or 1B needs to be 1A. And LeBron's been in the league a long time. He's got to figure this out. They're sitting there during timeouts. They're sitting on the bench. They're talking at halftime. Clearly, Wade wasn't going to go out and get him 30, 35, 40 points. It wasn't going to happen. This other guy probably needs to score in the 20s, especially on a night where, as you say, they hit 13 threes. Dallas does, and there's no perimeter defense to speak of on behalf of uh, the Heat. The big three, that's what everybody likes to call Bosch, LeBron, and Wade. And I'm, I'm, I certainly wouldn't disagree with that. I mean, it's a great collection of three guys. Every bit as good as a collection of three guys that Boston had when they were great three and four years ago. The big three had 59 points. That's, that's okay. That's a little under 20, so it's, it's under what they should get. It's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's not great. Jason Terry, Dirk Nowitzki, and J.J. Barea, a five foot nine inch guy who nobody had even saw play at Northeastern and has no idea how he got in the league. They think he stowed away on a bus <laughs> when he gets when he takes his uniform, his his, his uh, warm ups off. They had sixty seven. They had eight more points than the big three. It's amazing, right? It is amazing. And I have to say that one thing, I read a lot of the coverage this morning and didn't see the game, but but somewhere Dwayne Wade's first quarter injury was referred to, and his continuing to play was referred to as his Willis Reed moment. <laughs> I just strike that from the record. Please uh, do no, not trot that out. No, no. They trotted no, it out with Kobe in the play. No. no, it's not. No, it's nothing. It's but nothing I have good. to say, this is making this series so interesting to watch now. Great series. Yeah. It is. I mean, most of these NBA finals, and you go back to the Jordan era, were bad. Because Jordan just took over when he had to, when it was all about Michael Jordan. This is every game has the same pattern. At some point late in the third quarter, early and middle of the fourth quarter, Miami has a lead. And Dallas comes back and is always, always in position to win at the end. Doesn't win all the time. Always in position to win. And now has won three times in that pattern. And the fourth time, when they, the one time that they lost, uh, Nowitzki had a shot at the end to win the game and didn't, did not get it. LeBron tweeted out, see, tweeting is stupid, as we all know, but LeBron tweeted out yesterday, now or never. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, it's not now or never because there was not an elimination game. Now they face an elimination game and they have the good fortune to go back to Miami with it. What, what do you, Jason, what do well, you make of the, of the sort of dynamic that's going on now with LeBron? First of all, when it's a star of LeBron's magnitude, did he tweet it, or did his manager tweet it, or did his marketing people, or handlers, or yeah. sponsors, or whomever? So, yeah, yeah, who knows how even behind, did Will how artificial or whatever that was, yeah. Whether that was even a truly human emotion or that was pre-programmed. But, I mean, to me, what, what I wonder about this series is, 
what's the deal with my Emmys coach? I'm not a big NBA guy. And I look about 12 years old, so I should probably not even go here. But you're going to tell me this dude walks into that locker room after that loss last night and inspires confidence? They don't make any adjustments on their perimeter defense, but no one's talking about it because it's always LeBron, LeBron, LeBron. If LeBron has a monster game, it's LeBron. If LeBron craps the bed, it's LeBron, as we like to say. I, 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 yeah, exactly. So I kind of wonder... Is this guy getting a pass? How did he get here? Well, I have three questions. How did he get here? Well, he got he, he started out. He started out as the video guy. He's, his career is eerily similar to Eric Mangini's career oh, right. in terms of a start. He attached himself to a genius, right? Pat Riley, Riley yeah. and learned and absorbed in the same way that Mangini did with, with Belichick. Stayed up late and tried to absorb everything and worked for no money and gained the confidence of that guy, and, and Riley allegedly has all the confidence right. in the world in Spolstra, though I've always thought I've always thought they'd be a little bit better if Riles actually sat on the bench. But, you know, Wilbon tells me I'm wrong. So this guy, they, let's say they lose at seven. He's this kid it. survives? Oh, yes, he survives at least one more. Well, they got to the finals. Right. They got to the finals where in the middle of the season, when they couldn't beat a single team with a winning record, you know, it, it looked like they weren't going to get anywhere close to this. They have gotten to the finals. They have reversed by beating Boston. They reversed a, a team that had taken them 3-0 in the regular season. Beating Chicago, the same thing happened in Chicago. Won game one and was up 4-0 on them, and then they came back and won those things. I don't, I don't think he's in danger. You're suggesting he's Oh, I don't know. I'm asking because I am so far removed from the NBA. I just know I paid attention to the finals. I paid attention to the playoffs. I don't know this is the dude who gets them over the top, but we'll see. I, I, what I have, what I've seen with LeBron in his career, it, it's, it should be clear to everybody in, in this regard. I think LeBron has been coached by Mike Brown, by Eric Spolstra. Did Silas coach him for an hour and a half at Cleveland so. or something like that? LeBron, it's not that he's not. Yes, he's hard to coach. He's not receptive to coaching necessarily. He came into the league much valued, legitimately so, was great at 18 years old. It's not that he disrespects coaches as much as he sort of feels like, really, what are you doing? Now, if he were to be coached by Pat Riley or Phil Jackson, maybe it would be different. But he's been coached now in Mike Brown, a guy having his first job, in Paul Silas, a sort of old-school journeyman who you'd say, well, what, how, you can't relate to me, and Eric Spolster, a guy in his first job, first head coaching job. So it doesn't look like he takes coaching, and it also seems to me like when, when Miami is out there and, and Wade and Bosch and LeBron are, to use a terrible cliche, in rhythm, they do seem to be better than everybody else. What, what, what I can't get past is how, uh, how America seems to be rejoicing at the fact that LeBron will lose, that they, they, they don't like. They don't like the way the team was formed. Okay, the team appears to be bought. I, on the other hand, looking at the rules, think Pat Riley did a spectacular job of, of doing it. Nigel, you seem to want to speak. Yeah, it's not just America. England, too, very exciting. Hey, to well, like and people, people want, they, they have attached the label of villain, villainy to LeBron James, and it dates back to the way he said, he didn't even say, I'm going to play for the Heat. I want to play Miami. He said, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. Why, you know, and people hated that. It was a, it was a LeBron-produced uh, thing, the decision. People hated that. They hated him utterly 
utterly since Wilbon and I used to debate this. I said, he is a total villain. Everyone hates him. Wilbon said, he's a really nice guy. I said, oh, I'm not talking. He's, he's a, a heel. He's a no, heel. He's, he's a complete heel. He's a total villain. And Wilbon said, it'll be done by Halloween. I said, you're insane. It's, well, they hate him more than ever, don't they? Have you ever Absolutely. seen this? Was, no, and, and he brought it upon himself. And, and, and I'm with you. It's not the idea that they bought a team. Look, any innocence that, that that's not the way things are done in professional sports, if you're paying attention, you should have forgotten about that notion long ago. The New York Yankees buy championships. The Boston Red Sox buy championships. It's a little bit different in football because of the cap, but I mean, let's be real here. I mean, they, they spent money because they could. They worked the salary cap to their benefit. He wanted to go there because he's other guys. That's fine. Just don't cram it down everybody's face in such an ostentatious yeah, way. I think this is a little different because usually it's owners who buy teams and players. In this case, it seemed to be players colluding to yeah. all wind up First in the same place at part, the same yeah. time. And I think that that troubles people, and too. The worst thing, even worse than the decision, was their victory party the yeah. next yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they had ever played. Yeah. Before they never played. But if you notice carefully, there was all the other people they had under contract at the time, whoever they were, were not allowed they there. They weren't there. It was just these three guys in their brand-new single-digit uniforms, and not four, not five, not really, really. So America hates LeBron James at the moment, hates the Miami Heat at the moment. There was an ESPN poll the other day. Who would you rather see get his first championship, Dirk Nowitzki or LeBron James? Dirk Nowitzki oh, did that on 80%. I don't know. 49 out of 50 okay. states yeah. were blue for Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki, who until this year was thought of as the biggest choking MVP in the history of the league. You know, really, come on. You, you, need to, you need to see this, how great this is for America. I still, I still think Miami's going to win. I think they'll win six and seven. What do you think? I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think this is their year. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to handle this kind of adversity. They had a chance to make a statement, and LeBron had a chance to make a statement the other night. They, 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 last night, they triple-double aside, came up very small in the fourth quarter. And again, under the circumstances where he needed to be a scorer, he wasn't a scorer. He still wanted to delegate. No points in the fourth quarter of consequence. Two on a breakaway layup, and they're down about eight. What do you think? Who's going to win? Oh, I, I think Miami's going to win. I, I just can't see them losing game seven at home. I, 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 again, to, to bring up John Barry one more time, uh, he said they have to win game six. Dallas must win six because they're not going seven. You, you're looking at me. Oh, I, just, no, I think Dallas is going to win. You do. I do. You want them to win. Well, I do. Everybody wants them to I win. I want them to win. But, but you know what? Every time they're down, it doesn't seem to matter. They're no. like, oh, yeah, we're like Glenn Close in uh, Fatal Attraction. They just keep popping back up. And they, they don't seem to party. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We will take a break. When we return, Ann Hornaday will give us some movies later in the show. Sam Smith will analyze the game and the series as well. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You are listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Hey, what's up? Chris Cooley here. Is the temperature in your living room rising like our salad? 100 SPN we got some movie reviews. We've got Ann Hornaday. She's got two big movies this week. But before we start, I have a horrifying confession to make to you. Um, and, and that is that I've now watched most of Night and Day, the Tom Cruise, Cameron Diaz movie, twice on HBO. And I love the first hour. Now, I don't think it's as good as Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I thought was a great movie. I loved it. I don't think the chemistry between Cameron Diaz and Tom Cruise approaches what was incendiary between Angeline Jolie and Brad Pitt. But the first hour was really, 
good? Do, do I have to be like, you know, yelled at for liking it that much? No. As a matter of fact, I was talking to your fabulous producer, Nigel. Nigel. And I, you know what? This was part of that spate of of what we came to call romance, romaction uh-huh. comedies, which uh-huh. is these rom- romantic comedies that are kind of mashed up with action. And I honestly got it confused with that Catherine Hagel, Ashton Kutcher one. Oh. So, yeah, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong to enjoy what you enjoy. I mean, you want to hate Tom Cruise, but he knows how to play this role. He's He's terrific. He's funny. funny. I love how his little, like, June, June, you know, like, he's funny. He's he's hilarious. No, I Yes. Yeah, in the ensuing moments, I realized that I had the wrong movie in mind. I was going to scold you. No, no. The Captain Hagel one, but no. No, I hate her, and I hate the Jennifer Aniston movie. You know, that's We don't understand that. But no, this. The end of it is bad. This really had a lot going for it. First hour is wonderful. Oh, let's I get, totally agree. Okay. Let's get to the new movies. There are two of them, one more quiet and apparently better than the louder one, okay. Super 8. Super 8 has J.J. Abrams. I'm unfamiliar with his work, but he apparently is a godlike figure, and everybody brags that he's going to do a television show. It has Steven Spielberg. I am not unfamiliar with his work. He is a yeah. godlike figure, and the comparisons are to E.T., so I have a couple of questions beyond what is it about. Uh, the main questions are, is it scary? Because I don't like scary. Well, it's got a suspense monster, you know, yeah. to it, mm-hmm. but but it's not scary for you. I mean, I think it would be, I mean, that's a good question. It would probably be scary for sort of, you know, really young people. But okay, it's more I'm not the really old AARP people. <laughs> right. like we see it coming not down people Main about to collect Social Security yeah. making that decision. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we see it all coming down Main Street. So, okay. You know, it's like, and then when, and, and he does that smart Spielberg thing, which Spielberg did in Jaws, which is not show you the monster. So yeah. it's all sorts of rustling branches and mangled steel, you know, and so you never really see the thing until the final moment. Well, I don't know. There's that one scene in the boat where the, oh, yeah. where the Jaws, <laughs> the guy goes, well, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Right, but that came yeah. relatively late in the act. Yes. Know, up until oh, then, yes. The, yes. the fright, the fear was because you couldn't see it. Well, and also the great John Williams music. Oh, of course. And great this music. one, you know, and this, it's funny you should mention the music because the composer is this guy, Michael Giacano, I think that's how you pronounce it, who did, he's done some wonderful, he's bringing the old orke- live orchestral score back. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he has these big, Lush. He did that beautiful score for Up, you know, that had those soaring violins. And he does the score here, which, again, is an homage to John Williams. Everything in this movie is an homage to those old Spielberg films, which mm-hmm. is the blessing and the curse. I mean, I think where it, where it really hits the sweet spot is the kids. You know, it's, it's cast a lot of unknown child players, and one known, Elle Fanning, who here is etched. She's just, she's just stunningly good in this movie. I mean... There's a scene where she plays uh, a 14-year-old girl acting in an amateur movie. So she's having to play a girl who doesn't know how to act, but who's a really good actress, who doesn't know she can act. Right. It's one of these meta-level, you know, moments of great screen acting that is just, she's really the real thing. I mean, I just, this kid is just... She's Dakota Fanning's sister. She's Dakota Fanning's little sister. Little sister. Okay. I think Dakota Fanning's a great I actress. Mean, she's wonderful, too. And, but this, but Elle, I don't know, there's something even more kind of... Who are the of, parents here? They're, I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know that much about the family, but they certainly, you know, there's something in the... Yeah. You know, yeah. That particular gene pool, but... Yeah. But she's really great. So that part, the, ch- the way that he evokes that kind of enchantment of childhood and that innocence is really lovely. Um, but, you know, I do think the storyline itself isn't the strongest thing in the whole world. And the monster thing, I mean, at the end of, you know, I don't want to spoil it for people, but the, but the, but the payoff didn't really quite work for me. Okay, so, so. so you're, you're not, 
much like where you didn't like the Brad Pitt movie as much yeah, as other people. Reservations. Yeah, positive okay. with, with, with reservations. But it does, I really commend the effort. And, um, you know, Abrams, as you were saying, the reason why he's such a... Who is he? He yeah. did Lost. He produced Lost. Yeah, I never Alien watched a minute of Lost. I didn't either. And, and Alien, you're right. And then he did Mission Impossible 3, which I think for the fans, they, you know, I mean, it kind of, it was that that series was flagging a little, and he injected it with some more energy. And then he did the Star Trek boot, reboot, the prequel, which I liked a lot. So, you know, people really have their eye on him, and that's why the hype well, he's, Yeah, he seems to be the flavor of the week right now. And a little bit. Someone's little bragging bit. that they have him on TV or yeah, something like that. Yeah, anyway. but, I think, but I really commend him for trying to kind of return to those Spielbergian values, you know. But what's interesting to me is who is going to go see this movie, because it's very much geared towards the baby boomers like me who remember Spielberg. You know, I don't know that... Adults are going to want to go see it necessarily as a nostalgia trip, and I'm not sure kids are going to get what it's all, you know, like why it's so special. So we'll see. Total fail. Ha. Not a total fail. Okay. Now, there's the quiet movie. Yeah. Something I hadn't heard of at all is called The Beginners, and you absolutely loved, you loved this I movie. I have a big crush on this movie. This right. is my movie crush right. right now. And I saw it, uh, the first time I saw it was at Toronto last September, and I had, I can't remember. I think that I long had, ago? Yeah, but I had to, and I had to come in late. I think that's one of the ones I had to, I didn't see the beginning of Beginners. So I went in late, and I was immediately captivated. And, and I thought, wow, if the beginning of this movie is as wonderful as this half, you know, this is a, so I finally did catch up with the whole thing. You know, which I think is good for a film critic to see the whole movie. I don't know, yes. that's how I will. Yeah, it's yeah, so just like if you're going to be a food that's, critic, it's okay to eat the whole meal. You know, I just, I don't know, call me Mad Cat, but that's yeah. kind of what I do. That's how I do it. So this movie has been done for more than a year. Yeah, but, you know, that's what they do with these small sort of art house movies is they carefully make sure that they're releasing them at the right time. But it show, it, it stars Ewan McGregor as a sort of, you know, young middle-aged man who learns that his elderly father, his elderly father comes out of the closet. And then only a few years later is diagnosed with terminal cancer. So he's kind of hit with these two huge pieces of information, kind of one after the other. And the father is played by Christopher Plummer. And it is just the most sort of tender, funny, you know, it's obviously a little sad, you know, but it's, but it's really very joyful in terms of just these two guys' relationship and how he rediscovers his dad and then it kind of, you know, teaches him how to love. And Melanie Laurent, that beautiful French girl from Inglorious Bastards, plays his love interest. And is, is that the girl who owned the theater in Inglorious yeah, Bastards? She is fabulous. She's so great. And in the movie, when she's introduced, her, she plays an actress who has laryngitis, so she can't speak. So most of her, you know, her early scenes are all silent. So there's this kind of chaplinette. Wow. It's, it's just a beautiful little film. And Mike Mills, the guy who made it, is an, he's, he's from the sort of music video, graphic art world. So there's a lot of visual interest and a lot of visual ideas that are expressed in the movie. So it, it's just a beautifully crafted piece of film. And um, I don't know, it really got to me. And I think people will really, really enjoy it. And it also proves, you know, like Al Fanning and Dupre, it, what a great actor Ewan McGregor is. Because a lot of his stuff is just either, if not silent, then not a lot of, there's not a lot going on with this guy. He's mostly watching other people. And he infuses even just watching people with so much 
interest. You are know, you sure this watch. isn't headed for the West End? <laughs> are, are you sure this isn't a movie to go and be watched by it's 12 people? It's opening at the landmark of Desiree. Well, okay. And I'm, I think it's going days. to expand next week to the East Street, if I'm not mistaken. So keep your eye on this one. And I really think you might enjoy it. You know, it's just... This is a, I take it this is a, a British movie. No, it's an American movie. It's all done in Los Angeles. It's a, it's a great... It's Christopher Plummer is... It's autobiographical. Uh, yes. My, Thank uh, you, Gene. Yes. yes, exactly. Mills really based this on his own dad's life. You know, his father and mother, you know, were married for 30 or so years. And then when his mom died, his dad said, you know what? It's time for me to be honest about my, my true self. And... And as Mike, that's a stunner. Yes, that's always stunner, a stunner. But that that was relief, you know, because he, he was happy. You know, yeah. he finally had found his his honest expression in life. That was and probably the only funny moment in that movie with Chris Rock. You know, at the funeral movie, oh, where they right, find yeah. out that the dad is gay yeah. and and his partner is the little guy <laughs> oh, from right. from the station, yeah, train it was station. Too late for him, you see. Yes. And this one, he has the benefit of knowing his dad as his as the guy he always really was. So it's, right. all, it's all about kind of going back and exploring your childhood and thinking, well, that explains why we didn't, you know. I, I like, quite felt like I knew what was going yeah. on. I like uh, Ewan McGregor, McGregor. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes. But was he wasn't wasn't he in some of the Star Wars prequels yes. as well? well, well, well I didn't for that. I didn't particularly like him in those. But I well, you can't blame him for those. I saw him in a movie well, that I liked a lot. Hmm? Moulin Rouge, when he could sing and yeah, and I, I saw him in the first that. movie he was ever in. I think called Brassed Off. A fabulous oh, yeah. small right. British indie movie with Pete Postlethwaite. Exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's just terrific. You're right. Have you seen Train Spotting? I have not. Yeah, it's a tough movie. That's, I hear that's hard to watch. Yeah, but each ter- I mean, Anne, you could you could speak better this than me, but I thought okay. you know, I mean, it's about Scottish heroin addicts, so it's, you know, oh, it's, it's sort of tough, it's but it's a, more than a, laugh it's a small yeah. cult movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's very it's really good. good. It's really, really good. And there's a scene in Train Spotting where he's falling to the floor. I'll never forget that. Oh right, yeah. Best anti-drug message. Ever. So you like you and McGregor. I think we can stipulate that we are right. like you and McGregor, and I think everyone should like you and McGregor. And you like, and the the girl is. Terrific. She is just sublime. And Christopher, let's not forget Mr. Christopher Plummer. I mean, my God. And yeah, he's just darling. So yeah. he's, not, he's not singing with the Von Trapp family singers in this one. No. Right? <laughs> I just want to make sure about that. Yeah, and you know, I was speaking with a friend yesterday that, don't, do you, okay, what nationality is Christopher Plummer? Uh, uh, me, personally, I would have guessed that he was something Teutonic. You know, something oh, really? like Austrian. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe he's American. Maybe he's Canadian. He's I don't know. Canadian. He's Canadian. Okay, so okay. there you go. And I think most, I would have said British, but you know, too. why not? Ah, well, this is why we have fact checkers. He's been around a thousand years. He, we love him. He's a, he's a treasure. Good for him. All right, this is of great. whatever nation he's from. Thank you, Anne. Have a great weekend. Have a great summer. See you soon. Absolutely. And Hornaday, boys and girls, we will take a break right now. We will come back with news, and I'm just going to guess that we're going to talk about Newt, Gring- Newt Gingrich, and I'm going to say at some point, I believe I had this one. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is uh, Bob Dylan. This is It's All Over Now, Baby Blue. That's right. I like this song. I can't imagine where we're going with the news on It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, but I'm sure Nigel will tell us immediately. 
Wilma Satoni, it does appear to be all over right now for Newt Gingrich, barely before he got begun here on his presidential campaign for 2012. It started with such a flurry, he had guys throwing glitter on him, he had all these wonderful gifts he was talking about from Tiffany's, and now all of a sudden his entire eye command. In fact, at least 16 of the former lawmakers' advisors, including all of his senior campaign aides, departed the, uh, the operation in a major and potentially devastating shake-up. Those who left included... Potentially <laughs> devastating? Really? Yeah. Potentially That's devastating? very safely worded. Well, we just want to give you some wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, it included his campaign manager, his spokesman, top political strategists, key operatives from crucial GOP primary states, uh, and former Georgia Governor Sonny Perdue, who was his national campaign co-chairman, defected to uh, presidential campaign of former Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, a guy nobody has ever heard of. <laughs> right, so I think even his dog said, you know what, I'm going to go down the street. It's, this is, uh, when he launched his campaign, within, I mean, first of all, when he launched, why do we do this? Because it's Washington, and this is the game in town. Uh, when he launched his campaign, some of us, and by some of us, I mean me, said, <laughs> why is this fossil running? What does he possibly have to say to anybody now? This is like having, I have nothing to say to anybody, and, and he certainly has nothing to say to anybody. Within 48 hours of the launch of Newt Gingrich's campaign, two things had happened. One, it had been revealed that he had a revolving uh, credit card account at Tiffany's for somewhere between $250,000 and $500,000. Way to be a man of the people, Newtster. All right? And he wouldn't talk about that. Then at his first or second campaign appearance, some lunatic drops glitter out of a cereal box <laughs> on his head and his wife's head. That is a visual that is not going anywhere. Neither is he, but he, it's not going anywhere. Then they caught a guy, uh, a right, not a, I don't want to say a right-wing guy, but a Republican guy, grabbing him and saying what you said about Paul Ryan was inexcusable and you ought to get out of the race before you make a fool of yourself. These are the visuals. These are the three things that come out within 48 hours of Newt Gingrich announcing on the brand new interweb that he's going to be a presidential candidate. Now, today, you know what you learn of, about this? It's not, just, it's not just that all these people have quit because they understand that Newt is a utter loser in terms of being president. It is revealed today, or at least maybe it was revealed some other day and I didn't know about it, that he and his wife, went on a two-week cruise right. of the Greek Isles. What, what, are, you, what are, you, are you running for, like, Archbishop, <laughs> uh, you know, of Crete? Or are you running for President of the United States of America? What, what is that? Get out! He's completely tone deaf. Oh. Also, I have to say, I don't know the third Mrs. Gingrich. I didn't know the first two either. He's severely blonde, is what we know. Severely blonde and, and always wearing those Tiffany diamonds. Yeah, wouldn't years. you think somebody would say to her, sweetheart, look, lose those, okay? Lose those. I, you want to wear that part of the deal, though. She might be contractually obligated to rock the pearls. I do <laughs> not see Callista work in the coffee shops in Iowa with no. me. I mean, that's it's just not going to happen. Tone deaf is such a, it's such a great word because it reminds everybody of Elder Bush when Elder Bush went to a, you know, a grocery store, a supermarket, and had no idea there were scanners. So, wow, what's that? <laughs> yeah, here comes my food, and it's ringing up the price. What is that? You're not weighing it on the scale. No, it's so, I mean, what... Right, Newt Gingrich. Right, Jason. It's over. Get out. Well, I mean, it's over in in a field where nobody, nobody who's announced so far, 
nobody in America has heard of John Huntsman. Rick Santorum lost, got crushed trying to get a Senate seat in Pennsylvania, and now thinks the country wants him, which is preposterous. It's just, there's nobody out there. This is what Gingrich wrote on his interweb site. I am committed to, this is after the devastating loss of all these people. You ought to be committed. I'm committed to running the substantive solutions-oriented campaign I set out to run early this spring. The campaign begins anew. Sunday he, in Los Angeles. He really want well, to and you know, people yeah. have been comparing yeah. this to McCain when McCain re revitalized, you know, because lost it, everybody. Yeah, because they went quick, right? Yeah. But no, McCain no, no, he fired, fired them. Oh, he that did. was different. He fired He them. said, these guys are gone, I'm starting over again. This is very, very different. Your political system fascinates me. <laughs> <laughs> really I mean, get out. What else? Well, you know the old phrase, uh, Mr. Tony, that uh, good help is hard to find? Yes. Well, apparently, uh, Gloria Edwards and her husband Alfred found some help, and they decided not to let her leave the house or really pay her for over 10 years. Those are the charges that have been filed against them. Uh, it alleges that Gloria Edwards lured a woman to the United States with a promise of employment while in the Philippines about 10 years ago. And this is according to court documents. Uh, when the woman arrived at the couple's home in May of 1999, the indictment alleges they took her passport and refused to return it. The woman cooked cleaned, ironed, garden, and provided 90 massages for Edward's mother oh. for $50 a month, according to court documents. Wow, that's a great That's a bargain. Yeah, who wouldn't want that? Security. That's exactly what it is. Who wouldn't want to get is someone for that? For that? Yeah. <laughs> she also cleaned for neighbors and relatives wow. to pay rent on Edward's small apartment in the Philippines, where the women's eight children lived at various times oh. over the course of those Jeez. 10 years. Now, at various points, they forced her to marry as her visa was about to expire. She got married once, then they facilitated divorce from the first man, then arranged a marriage in 2000 with uh, Edward's brother, who suffered from dementia and diabetes and required extensive care. Now, the neighbors, the neighbors of the people are absolutely stunned, of course. They say, no, they're very nice, and in fact, they used to deliver cheesecakes at Christmas time, so they're stunned. Well, everything's all right. <laughs> exactly. Well, let, let, let me go back over this for a second. This woman from the Philippines... Yes. Did she learn at some point to speak English? Uh, she, she, was not, she was not bound. She was not tethered. This isn't a, a slavery situation. Is this a Rick James no, situation here? but they took her passport, and I'm sure they created this atmosphere where she was totally dependent on them. Yes. They said, in fact, they, she just left? They, they, she did at various times. They threatened to have her arrested if she abandoned her brother. Uh, she did not return. She, she, she ran away in 2002. Uh, then it threatened to shoot her. She tried to shoot her. run away again. His wife is alleged to have hit her and pinched her and poked her with knives. Uh, she left the couple's home for good in 2009. Uh, let's see. Gloria Edward reached her by telephone and threatened her. She did not pay $20,000 for a replacement, quote, unquote, slave. She would be done. So this woman really was, I guess, sort of trying to facilitate an escape. There is not a jail sentence long enough for these two people. Yes. And what Trump they, They're in a gots-to-go situation. I'm sorry, but the man was a gynecologist. Right. I mean, I just sometimes thought that to send another cold chill down right. my spot. Are you suggesting all gynecologists? Are, no, I'm just... A little, a little bit creepy? It's creepy. For a brush. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, they face up to 50 years in prison and it's well, two, two each. Yeah, so. Well, two. they're old enough. Well, the, the woman is 60 and the man is 73, so if they get half of that, they're in there forever, then they should be. Yes. What about a civil yeah. action, Nigel? Could they uh, get, could, could this poor lady 
tap into the well, again, I'm not familiar. funds and resources that I'm not familiar with the taxes. Tap, seem, tap seem, into America. <laughs> yeah, it seems like yeah. she should get some sort of monetary back pay for 10 you years. You would think. Yes. You would think. And that's how we do it in England, so I don't know how you do it in the States. I think a bit, I think she should get some back pay. No doubt, fifty dollars a month. She should get the house. Yeah, yeah. She certainly get their house yeah. and everything. All their assets, assets, whatever. Yes. What else do we have? Uh, very quickly, Mr. Tony, how do you fight terrorism? There really is only one way: with cupcakes. Yes, that's what my my guys, MI6, British intelligence. What they did was they saw that Al Qaeda was had this magazine they were publishing and showing you how to make bombs in your mom's kitchen, right? So it's sort of like a do-it-yourself kind of terrorist thing. So what they did was they went on the website and they, they changed the recipes to actually, instead of make bombs, to make cupcakes. And they got the recipes from uh, Ellen's show. Uh, some great stuff is mojito, Rocky Road, and caramel apple, apple cupcakes. Do you think that the Al-Qaeda people halfway through, <laughs> did anybody stand up and say, well, why am I using flour? <laughs> too much yeast going on. Why am I adding sugar? It doesn't seem... Is it, are you sure? Are you sure about this? <laughs> yes. Okay. You done? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll say a quick word about Bagel City, Mr. Yes. Tony. DC's best New York deli and bagel establishment. Been around for more than 30 years. It's the place to go for all your deli needs. We get their breakfast every single morning. Love the bagels. Love the homemade rye bread. All of that stuff is brilliant. You can get it too. It's open every single day of the year. Located in the Altenburg Club at 12119 Rockville Pike. Call them up at 301-231-8080. Matt Kelleher will join us with a PTI preview when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You are listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. Hi, folks. 980. In honor of the fact that on this day, four years ago in 2007, the final episode of The Sopranos aired, we will play, is this Journey? That's yes, right. Journey and Don't Stop Believing. And this is, everybody does those flash point dances, whatever they call that stuff. Flash, flash mobs. Mob. Yeah, that's right. And it's always to this, you know, really enough. You know what this makes me think of? What? I wonder if Meadow ever able to get her car parallel parked as she was trying to get in the restaurant. Remember she seemed not, be- not before the restaurant blew up, <laughs> seems to me. Matt Kelleher joins us now with a PTI preview. Tell me we have a guest today. Why would I do that? Oh, okay. All right. Well, we might have a guest, but yeah. why do I have to tell you? You don't think we have good stories? My goodness. We have, well, what do we have? Tell me what we have. Well, we have a pretty big basketball game. Yes, it was a pretty big game. Which we can break down in several ways. I want to ask you, did you see the clip of LeBron and Wade mocking dirt sickness from before the game? No, I did not see that. But so pre-game, that was a mistake. Through. What's that? That was a mistake on their part. Going, oh, you hear me coughing? <laughs> oh, I'm sick. Look, I'm sick. Yeah. And then LeBron said, yeah, so this weather going from 85 degrees to 90, it's really hard on you. And they all start coughing more. Yeah, I think I would bring up the fact that LeBron said now or never and the yeah. most important game of my life. Never then, right? Yeah, I would mean, bring that up. Yeah. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the hockey game, which is tonight. Yeah. Uh, Elaine Vigneault confirms that Loretta Luongo will start. Said, quote, you can bet on that. Okay. Is that the right call? Yes. In, 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 we're stopped 66 and 68 bucks in, in Vancouver. Yes, it is the right call. Absolutely, it's the right call. Uh, Big Poppy blaming the media for him getting hit by pitch. Wait, wait. He's not blaming the fact that he tossed the bat and Girardi hates his guts and he hates Girardi? Quote, I want to thank you guys, not all of you, most of you, for the stats today of me not getting hit by the Yankees. Finally got hit. Hope you bleeps are happy. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I think they're walking through the clubhouse with F. Lupica t-shirts on or something like that. It's <laughs> great. What else? And I think we should get into this West Virginia story. What is it? What is it? It's so weird. It's the basically there was a, a coach in waiting hired, and the coach who still had a job, Bill Stewart, 
got some reporters to try to dig up dirt on him, and then Reality told us that his, his, his wife, wife was calling into radio shows. That's right, never a good thing, saying the guy was a sleaze band. So now it looks like they're going to fire Bill Stewart, the, the original coach, and then... And hired the guy who got thrown out of the casino because he was a sleaze bag? That's what, there's some reporting, but there's also That's some folks suggesting maybe Rich Rod should come back. Why wouldn't he come back if he could? With you. I totally yeah, perfect fit. Rich Rod won there, big. The come back. I like him. think he, he deserves that. But they love this other, back. the other two guys, really? <laughs> All right, we'll see if we can get a guest, though, you know? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Sam Smith, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. ESPN 980, WTEM Washington, 94.3 FM, WWXX Park, 92.7 FM, WWXX.